I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This is Chris Fetters of dogman.com and I'm here with Scott Eklund. On uh, Monday afternoon, uh, the Monday after the uh, win over Oregon State, 27-21, Husky Stadium. And we're kind of doing this. I think we may end up doing more Monday podcasts to try to get some some initial reactions after speaking with Jimmy Lake uh, and his kind of weekly Zoom call he has with the media every Monday. Um, it kind of makes sense, especially this particular Monday, because there are so many different questions about what everybody saw on offense, what everybody saw on defense, players that were there that played, players that got game balls, players that weren't there especially. And uh, Jimmy made it clear right from the jump that uh, he wasn't going to take any questions about any guys that weren't playing, whether that was personal reasons, whether that was COVID-related, whether it was other injuries. He just wasn't going to have it. So he said it flat out that he just wasn't going to take any uh, questions on that stuff. Scott, what were your initial impressions on that? particular part of the call, and especially when we saw guys like Tuli Latuigasanoa, we saw Leatu Latu, we saw Kevin Thompson on the sidelines in street clothes. Um, what did you make of that of that comment from Jimmy Lake? Uh, I made of it that he n- knows that other teams are he, – he doesn't want to give anybody anything that could be – a strategic advantage when they play the University of Washington. And, and he basically just said, hey, if it happens in a game, I will address it. Uh, if it's something that really needs to be addressed, everybody saw it on the TV or saw it in the game, I'm, I will address that. But as far as what happens in practices or what happens behind the scenes, what, and so the thing is they might not be playing – for reasons other than them being hurt, there could be a COVID situation. Although I don't think the guys would be around the the other players if there was a COVID situation. But yeah, that was they, weird though because I yeah. you know I remember the Notre Dame the Clemson Notre Dame game and I saw Trevor Lawrence on the sideline. Yeah, and I thought he was out because of COVID related stuff. So I'm I'm kind of lost on that pro part. Yeah, of I, yeah, but I don't I don't want to sidetrack that. Yeah, I well I mean the thing is I I have to believe that Washington who has been a little bit more conservative than than maybe Clemson has been on the COVID thing, maybe they would, they wouldn't allow a player on the sideline, even if he wasn't uh, a guy who could infect anybody. I, you know, I don't know, you know, yeah. so there's just a lot of reasons why it's just your protocols at your school, what you feel comfortable doing and, and what you're going to do. But the other thing is we don't know if it's because they missed a class. We don't know if it's because um, they missed a practice for whatever reason, whatever it was. Um, there's lots of different reasons guys might not play a game. Um, and so it's, you've just gotta accept the fact that we're not gonna know unless we hear stuff on the back end. And you and I and Kim have all heard stuff throughout the years on the back end on things and that, you know, this guy won't play or that guy won't play. But unless we feel comfortable with getting that information and then sharing it, 
we're not going to be able to share it with you guys. So it is what it is. You're just going to have to accept it. And uh, while this year may be different than other years going forward with Jimmy Lake, but this year it's going to be pretty tight and locked down. Yeah. That being said, he can't have his cake and eat it too. I mean, he cannot sit by, and if he's going to put the clamps down on the information, uh, the flow of information coming there, especially with notable injuries, which is something that Chris Peterson would have done in the past. If it was a season-ending injury or if it was uh, an injury where it was clearly going to be something that where a guy would be out a long time, he would address it and he would say so. Now the only circumstance that Jimmy Lee to address an injury question is if it's based on an injury that everyone sees during a game and it maybe it's a gruesome one or maybe it's one where it clearly looks pretty severe. Um, that's the only situation. But the problem with that is, is that if he puts the clamps down and he, you know, restricts the flow of information, that's going to lead to speculation. And that's our business. That's what we do. We, we kind of trade in, in, in knowing what's going on around the program from different sources and different people that we know in our orbit. And we've been doing this for, you know, going on 25 years now. Um, so we've heard all sorts of things when it comes to guys being hurt. And, and you even could see it yourself on the sidelines when Kim was sending us back pictures pregame and you see guys that uh, uh, have stuff on their wrists or stuff on their shoulders or slings or things like that. I mean, these are noticeable things, and yet Jimmy Lake won't talk about them. But, you know, we hear yeah. things. And so yeah. can you talk a little bit about what you've been hearing? Yes, on Sunday. So I put it up on the message boards for those who haven't seen it yet. Um, I basically said what I was hearing, and I heard from three different uh, independent sources, guys who know each other on the periphery but are not guys who are, are interacting very much with each other, if at all, and um, heard from three different sources, all guys that I trust, that uh, Tuli Letu Lixanoa and Leatu Latu are both done for the season. And um, they've also heard that Kevin Thompson is probably done for the season as well. Now, the thing is, with all of those, those might not be something where they would be a full season injury in in other years. But because we're only playing, you know, Washington's going to only be playing six games at most right now with a possibility of a seventh and a, and a bowl game. Um, but, I mean, let's be honest with the way cancellations have happened with the surges that are happening and some of the COVID cases and, and some of these uh, local uh, rules that they have for who can play and who's eligible and all those kind of things. We may not see, I mean, there's, we're probably going to see other cancellations, hopefully not. And I, I'm a big believer in being positive and just, Hey, un, until we go around that, Ben, you don't talk about it. You don't get that concerned about it, but um, there could be. So all I'm saying is these trees that we're talking about now with, uh, Legacy, uh, Thule and, and, um, and, uh, Latu and, and Thompson might not have put them out for a full season any other year, but because of the kind of year we're under right now in 2020, it is going to be a full season because they only have five or six more games to play. Yeah, no, it's true. And and who knows if they're even, if, if college football is even going to make it to a bowl season, depending on what's going on currently. Um, we're, you know, we're getting the bad news on the, on the cases front, but we're getting great news on the, on the on the, the the ramp up of the vaccines, so you just you have no idea how this thing is going to pan out. But you're right; everything just gets shrunk in like by mm-hmm. a half or a third or whatever, however you want to put it. That you know the season just isn't going to be very long, and you know because it's going to be it's going to be Thanksgiving next week. I mean, Washington's going to be playing Washington State next Friday or a week from Friday, 
and it's and it, and it just feels like the season just started. Uh, and so it did. Random. It did just start. <laughs> I know it's so, so random. But and it's so weird because I told my wife I go right now, I will I would have gone through uh, eleven weeks of a season and ten games by by now. Yeah. And I not to I told, mention fall camp. Yeah, and I told my wife I said it's so weird because I would as much as I love football, that it's a lot on us. And what we're expected to do and how we're expected to cover all this stuff. So when we finally see that light at the end of the tunnel that, okay, they're not going to make the conference championship game. We know we're going through Thanksgiving and then there'll be a few weeks off as they, they ramp up for recruiting and then, um, we'll, they'll play a, a game, right? And uh, so I told my wife, I go right about now, I'd be like, Oh, just a couple more weeks and then I can actually take a breather, right? <laughs> It's just yeah. starting. It's just yeah. starting. It's so weird. Such a weird year. No, it's it's really, really weird. Um, the only other real notable thing I would say that came out of uh, Coach Lake's press conference, he, he showed up uh, wearing a white hat. It said, run the damn ball, um, which, which didn't seem, you know, obviously it's kind of funny and, you know, it kind of goes to Jimmy playing games with the media and playing games with the opposition and just kind of having fun with it in general, which – I think it's fantastic. I mean, he just won his first game as a head coach. Uh, he's in a good spot. You know, his, his team performed pretty well. Um, obviously there's a ton of mistakes that were made that, that are going to get cleaned up this week, but, um, run the damn ball. That was clearly an emphasis, uh, on Saturday night. And, um, it was also interesting that he said the first game ball that was given out post game was to offensive coordinator John Donovan. And um just curious about your assessment of, of what you thought uh, of John Donovan and his game plan, especially um, given what Coach Lake did, giving him a game ball, talking about how much he had had to overcome with no spring ball, you know, limited fall ball, um, you know, having to try to almost instill this offense via Zoom. Yeah, I I, I think my, my thing was, and uh, I – there's a lot of people on our board who didn't like the play calling. I thought it was brilliant play calling on Saturday night. The weather didn't really allow for – I mean, Kim was showing us videos of this stuff, and stuff was going sideways down there at the before the start of the game. And you have a freshman quarterback who's never played a game. You've got um, a brand-new offensive line who – correct me if I'm wrong, but run blocking is supposedly a lot better – are a lot easier to learn than pass blocking is because you got to pick up stunts, you got to slide protections, do all those different things. When you run block, you're you're the aggressor usually, and you go after the defense. So there's those things. There's a the fact that you've got a stable full of big backs who you can run up in that hole and and get after it. You've got um you've got tight ends who can block. Mark Redman, Kate Otten, apparently Kate Otten had. His, according to Jimmy Lake, he felt it was his best game as a Husky in that regard as far as his blocking. So I thought it was a great game plan by John Donovan, and he called a great game. Um, he opened some things up. Dylan Morris hits a couple of those passes that should have been caught. And, um, you know, this is a completely different game. Think about it. it even, if, even if they didn't catch any of those passes that Dylan Morris threw, if uh, – um, uh, Peyton Henry hits that, that one short field goal, 28 yarder that he missed. And they don't have the mistake on the very first special teams play of the day, right? 
and yep. that leads to an Oregon State touchdown. Washington wins that game by 16 points. Yeah. And we're not even talking about this. Now, you can't take those things away. That's what happens in games. I get it. Those are two pretty big errors that caught, that went straight to touchdown, straight to scores, right? Yep. And, and then you have the two dropped passes in the end zone, one by Ty Jones, um, one by Romo Dunsey, and then you have another one that was a tough catch that Ty Jones would have had to make on that last drive when they settled for a field goal to put themselves up six. But I mean, gosh darn, I, or I'm sorry, not, it was early in the game, but anyway, whatever it was, it was the one that they missed the field goal. That's right. So anyway, whatever it is, Washington, I thought played the kind of game they needed to play in order to win the, the game. Whether you win by one point or you win by 25 points. Yes. In college football, you do need some style points. Unfortunately, it's, it's a, it's a industry that, that, runs on um optics a lot more than it should but that being said they they won the game and it was the first time they had played oregon state's second game they always say the biggest jump and improvement for a team is between the first and second game ask how does anyone when you're when you're talking about teams in this conference does anyone think that ucla is a better team than cal if you just looked at it on paper and before the season chris no, I mean, I, mean, I, I mean, Cal is a shell of what I thought they would be. But again, I think. But that was their first really, game. Yeah, but we also can't really put a, a price or a, or a value on how much COVID has affected that that defense, especially. Oh no, no, I I, I understand that. What I'm saying is UCLA took it to them, right? Oh, sure. on, yeah. in that game, and that that team was missing some guys. But we still thought they were a better team than UCLA. UCLA yeah. looked horrific yeah. for most of that game against Colorado the week before. But guess what? UCLA had played a game. Cal hadn't. And it's, right. it's just, it's just different when you get out there. I'm not saying Washington didn't make mistakes. There are mistakes made in the game. There's always mistakes made. But anyone who thinks that, that the Huskies should have just blown them out because, well, this is Oregon State. I'm sorry, guys. You get you have no clue. Anyone who thinks that has no clue what it's like to go out there and play a team that has played a week before, who understands the system that you run, and all that kind of stuff. It is it is completely different. So sorry, yeah. off my soapbox there. No, I think it's interesting, but especially with respect to the running game again. Um, you know, one of the game balls went to Sean McGrew, and um, which I found. Obviously, it was it was warranted. He was well deserved. He averaged ten yards a carry, scored a, a touchdown, twenty-one yard touchdown, had the long run of the game, twenty-seven yards, uh, ninety-one yards, nine attempts. But what I found was interesting during this press conference with Jimmy Lake was that he kind of admitted that at the end of the game they should have gone to him. And with over half the carries going to Kamari Pleasant and Richard Newton, I thought that was an interesting admission, and maybe an admission that you know. I think a lot of the fans saw the play calling is very vanilla down the stretch on that seven and a half minute drive to really put the game out of reach at the end that only ended up in a field goal. But I think the Washington coaches are kind of admitting now that if they had had McGrew in there running those plays instead of maybe some of those other backs, they might have been able to get a little bit more out of it. Is that kind of the way you took it? 
Um, yeah, I, I think just they felt that he was the hot hand and he should have gotten more, more carries. I thought Cam Davis should have gotten a few more carries. It seems like every time that guy makes a big play, there's a holding call, doesn't there? I mean, it happened last year against Oregon. He has like a 15 yard run and they call it back because of a holding call. The call on, did you see the replay, Chris? On, well, I don't on, remember uh, if that was the hold on Luke Wattenberg. Yeah, yeah it was on Wattenberg. Did yeah, that look like, that was sketchy to me. His yeah. hands were inside the body. They weren't outside. And yeah, he might have been holding the guy, but everybody says you can hold the guy if your hands are inside the body. Yeah, so, it's, it's one of those where it's like if if you if you're seeing calls like that made, then you're probably getting about ten hold calls a game. Um, if yeah. they're being called, if they're not being called, then that really stands out as yeah. a call. It's like, well, why did you make that call? We've been using that same technique and and playing the same way all game long. Seems really out of place. Yeah, I. Yeah, I, I just, uh, cause that was a, you know, he made a really good play on that and then, then, uh, it doesn't end up happening. So it is what it is. You know, I, I mean, Dylan Morris, I felt like he played about as good as you could play. I mean, obviously there, there was a few plays that maybe he missed on. Um, there was a deep crossing route that, uh, that Ty Jones had that he threw it right at his feet when he would have been open for a good 20 yard gain. But, uh, you know, Washington, you know, he made plays when he needed to. He showed some nimble feet. Um, honestly, he ran a little bit better than I thought he was going to run when he made that run and then gets leveled. And everybody couldn't believe that, that Oregon State got called for that, uh, for the targeting penalty. But if you watch the replay and you listen to what, uh, who is it? Mike Pereira, Pereira? Pereira, uh, yeah. yeah, for, he says that is the letter of the law rule. That is a targeting. He goes, it's hard. It's tough. It's not an easy, it's, it stinks for the, the guy, but th- they're trying to get this out of the game. And that's exactly what you saw in that, on that run. And I, cause I honestly, when I saw him break free, I was like, Ooh, maybe he's going to get a first down and they don't even need to worry about this. But then they get, they ended up getting it anyway. The one qualm that I had, I, and I said that I felt that John Donovan called the heck of a game. And I really do. Uh, the one thing that I would have said was, um, I would have liked to seen them do something different on that third down or even second, second goal. Cause if they score a touchdown, the game's over. Right. right. And, but they, you know, they decided to run the ball right up the gut for a, for a third time. And, and I, I would have liked to see them maybe get Dylan Morris out on the perimeter or, um, you know, maybe not run an option play because so many different things can happen. And Jimmy Lake addressed this, that he was really proud of Dylan Morris and the way he handled the ball considering the conditions that were out there. But I would have liked to see them get Dylan Morris out on the edge a little bit more and maybe, and maybe, uh, um, just eat the ball and so the clock continues to run instead of throwing it away. But, um, you know, that's, that's hindsight. It's easy to say that now. I just, I, I'm just all for go when you have the chance to put your foot on the neck and put a team away. I'm, I'm all for doing that. I understand the reason behind not doing it, but, uh, you know, and it's easy for me to say my job isn't on the line if it happens, if it doesn't happen, you know what I mean? So, sure. um, but I would have liked to see a different play call on that second, third down, third and goal um, in their last offensive drive, but uh, that's kind of quibbling. They ended up winning the game. They got the points they needed, and they relied on their defense that, that came through for them. 
Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Yeah, it, what's interesting is just to remind um, folks out there listening, that drive started with 9.09 left in the fourth quarter. When Peyton Henry kicked that 23-yard field goal, there was one minute and 45 seconds left on the clock. You give those numbers to Jimmy Lake, I swear to God, he's probably just going to he, he's just gonna have a, a grin a mile long. He that's That's attack football for him. That's the way he sees an attack-minded offense going. And that may rub people the wrong way. That may not be their style. But it was clear when they kept running the ball with Richard Newton, they kept running the ball with and then and then using those um, kind of those fly motions with Terrell Bynum. And then obviously Adunze had the one where that was kind of an iffy call. But, you know, it's only an iffy call because they didn't execute it. Um you know, at that, at, you know, once you started to see those kinds of things, you you just knew they were not going to throw the ball, and they you could tell every time the forty second clock went down, it was going down at three, two, hike the ball, and so it was uh it was you know it was orchestrated specifically to be an extended four minute drive, without a doubt, and you could just see the clock going to the point where Oregon State had to use two of their timeouts during that drive or three, all three of their timeouts, excuse me. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, it just, I think it actually went to perfection. And like you said, the only hiccup at the end was just not finding the end zone. And I think that's where they, they feel like, or at least Jimmy Lake, if you kind of read between the lines, I think that's where he feels like, yeah, we probably should have used McGrew. He, he was just too good on the day. He was averaging 10 yards a carry up to that point. Maybe he finds a crease or something. That maybe the bigger backs don't. Maybe he can squirt through. Maybe he can hide behind the line real quick and then just dart either inside, outside, find that crease and he can, and he can find the end zone. So that's the only thing I kind of ran from that. What was interesting though is that he was asked at the very end about, you know, if he feels like they still have an explosive pass game in their, you know, in their pocket that they can bring up and he still feels like they're done. He does. And he said flat out, he goes, we're not going to be air raid. We're not going to chuck the ball for you 50 times. That's not going to be who we are. That's not how you win championships. You win championships first and foremost with a, with a power run game, with a game where you can run the ball when, not only when you need to, but when you want to. And, um, but at the same time, he said, uh, which I thought was interesting is that he feels like they can be explosive because he's seen it in camp going up against some of the best cornerbacks and, and defensive backs in the country, which are his guys. So I don't know what you took from that, but I thought that was interesting. Well, I mean, that to me, that says it all. And, and the fact that he, he feels that they still can be explosive, but he also made, he said it several times when asked different questions that this team is going to be multiple. One game plan for one week is not going to be the same for the next week. You know, it's not, you're not going to see, he said the game plan that you saw on Saturday is not going to be the game plan that you see come this Saturday when they play Arizona. So, um, they're going to be different. They're going to be, they're going to make it hard for these teams to game plan for them. Hey, Scott, when you saw the, when you saw the, the tape over again, 
especially on defense. You know, he, he Jimmy Lake said on the front seven that, uh, you know, lack of run fit was a big problem, but also technique really needed to get cleaned up in the front seven. Um, when you kind of saw the breakdowns a little bit, was it just that, that Jamar Jefferson is that good of a running back? Or was it a combination of where maybe there were some breakdowns that Washington really um, were exposed a little bit? Well, the biggest breakdowns that I saw were, and I'm not picking on these guys, but I don't think Sam Taimani is explosive enough and Josiah Bronson, they are not explosive enough to get in that backfield and cause some problems. Uh, which is something that Greg Gaines always seemed to be able to do. You know, he wasn't known as a guy who got a lot of penetration. He took up double teams, but that guy was constantly playing behind the line of scrimmage when it came to run the running game. And, and when he and, uh, Vita Vea were manned up together, that's that, I mean, honestly, other than the 1991 team, has there been much better of a, um, run defense at the University of Washington with, than with those two? Uh, plan. So, I mean, that's the problem. Everybody's comparing it to a guy, two guys playing in the NFL. Washington might have two guys that are going to eventually play in the NFL, but they're completely different players than, than what you saw with Vita Vea and, and Greg Gaines and some with Elijah Qualls when he was here for that one year. Um, Danny Shelton as well. So, um, Washington has had a lot of really good guys to, to throw in there. And I think right now, Washington, you know, no led to Ligasanoa. No, um, Leatu Latu, guys who can, who can hold the edge and, and, and or get penetration in the middle. And I think that's going to be a problem moving forward. Obviously, I don't, you know, Pete Kwiatkowski, Jimmy Lake, they know what they're doing. They wouldn't have got this far in their career if they didn't. So you got to trust that they're going to be able to get these guys. But what I saw was an Oregon State offensive line that was able to get their offensive linemen to the next level. And get after, uh, Jacob Sermon, get after a Defawan Ulafosio and, um, get some blocks on guys. And as we saw, there are some things that happened in that, in that game that, um, made you think that maybe Jackson Sermon isn't the guy in the middle there. It shouldn't be that guy. It, sh- it might need to be Alfonso Tupatala who came in and I think things kind of got a little bit better when, with Tupatala in there. So we'll just have to see how it is moving forward. Um, didn't see much of – I don't remember seeing Daniel Hamuli, uh in the regular defense. I saw him on special teams. Is that Was that your take, Chris? Yeah, that was my take. I have to, I'd have to go back to look for him. Yeah, and MJ Tafisi, I don't think – I don't remember seeing him in there either um, with the regular defense. I could be wrong, but um, that is not my forte, by the way, as spotting guys. I usually have to see them make a play before I actually – um, know who's in there. I, I'm just not great at it. I've gotten better, but I'm not great at it. So if I miss a guy, I just, I miss a guy. So I don't even remember seeing Sabelle Smalls out there. Um, yep. and you guys he said he played there. a few times. Yeah. So, yeah. so there you go. Yeah. Um, like on the first, on the first, um, strip, uh, by Zion Tupo Fatui, where mm-hmm. Washington got the ball back, you know, Savelle was on that other edge. He was edge. on the other edge. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So anyway. Um, I think there are, there are definitely some things they can improve on. Oregon State is a pretty good running team. I think Jamar Jefferson's a pretty good player. But, um, you know, it's like what Lake said about Gary Brightwell, who's basically the same kind of running back as Jamar Jefferson, but they're going to have, they're going to spread you out more because they've got those big receivers that are pretty good and a quarterback who can throw it around a little bit. So you're talking about fewer numbers inside the box. And Brightwell is a guy who can run over or around you. And so 
they've got a challenge this weekend with Brightwell, and he's a really good running back. I, I was watching him, and I was making notes for my weekend thoughts, and he, man, did he look good. I really, I was really impressed with him. Yeah, no, it, it is really interesting, Scott. How you know if you go back and and if and if COVID isn't isn't around, and and you're thinking of Washington's front seven, you know you're including Levi Anzarike, you're including Joe Tryon, you're including Tuli Latui Gasanoa, you're including Leatu Latu, on top of the guys that played. I mean, those are four guys. Now all of a sudden, your your defensive front is looking all world, and no Sama Pahama. I mean, it's it's amazing how quickly things can thin out in a hurry yep. and how you can't take any of that kind of stuff for granted and how those exclusions from the lineup can make a huge difference in terms of trying to get off on the right foot. And again, when you combine that with a guy like Jamar Jefferson, when you combine that with the idea, and I agree with your thought that that things improve the most from game one to game two, so you have to take that into account when looking at Oregon State's offense. I think we also have a, a general appreciation for Jonathan Smith as a play caller and a schemer. We think that he's pretty good, pretty big, pretty good offensive mind. All those things kind of go into the pot and you can see where maybe there would be some struggles for Washington on the, on the defensive side of the ball. That said, 252 total yards. Can we really be that critical? Yeah. I, and yeah, I, I don't see how you can be that critical of Washington's win other than the fact they weren't able to kind of put punching into the end zone more than they should have or more than they did. They probably should have gotten a few more points out of that. But overall, just don't understand why people are upset. It's the first game. There was a lot of positive signs in this. And the people who are upset about it are people who either A, went in with unrealistic expectations or B, they just they're critical because that's who they are. They don't like life. They they get their happiness through their football team, and that's a sad state of affairs if that's where you're sitting. Well, I'm not. I'm not. I'm never going to go that far, but I will I say will. this. <laughs> that's fair. You, that that's that's the position you hold in this podcast, and I can appreciate it. Uh, what I will say is is that I think it really does go to show how how varying the opinions can be when asked for what you think a um, what it, what attack mode would be, quote unquote. What is attack mode? Yeah. Does attack mode mean throwing it all over the lot like air raid? Does that, is that the perception of being in an attack mode? Or does being in an attack mode mean that you get the ball and you keep it for 37 minutes? Um, yeah, it just, it, it depends on your point of view. Now, I would correct. say probably, um, cause everybody points to Oregon because a lot of people can't get over Oregon, but, um, I watch the way Mario Cristobal goes about his business. And as much as I might have qualms about him as a coach, I, you know, whatever, we don't need to get that deep into this. His guys are constantly on the edge and attacking. And that's, I think where people kind of look at and say, well, that's what I want my team to be like is constantly attacking but the thing is it's different for everybody else you know it 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 always seemed like you know you watch those movies where people are being aggressive 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 in in how in the in the universal way that people picture people being aggressive and then all of a sudden there's someone who isn't you don't think they're aggressive but they are behind the scenes you know what i mean and mm-hmm. and it's it's a subtle aggressiveness if if that makes sense and 
And so is, is it aggressive to just say we'd rather run the ball 15 times and run it right down your throat and take your will? Or is it aggressive to say I'll throw it over top of you and and score that way with in 10 seconds? You know, there's it's diff, there's different ways of doing it, and as long as you get the win, it really doesn't matter one way or the other. Yeah, I was going to say too that you can certainly create a power offense in college football a number of different ways. I mean, this is more the style that we would have seen early on with Jim Harbaugh, David Shaw at Stanford when they were running things with Andrew Luck. But you you even, you know, you mentioned Oregon, for instance. Look at the Chip Kelly run offenses when you had LaMichael James, when you had Snoop Stewart, you know, Marcus Mariota doing their thing. That's as good as a power run game that I think has ever been in the Pac-12 the last 20 years. If you watch what they're doing, that spread offense, that is power run. That is getting behind pads and pushing people around. And so go back and watch the tapes. I mean, it's it's right there for everyone to see. And I think when you have guys that go across the line at Washington, basically, you know, you have Jackson Kirkland listed at 295, but he might as well be 300 because he's 6'7". He's huge. But then the other guys are, what, 355, 300, 335, 330? Yeah, you're going to want to play behind those guys, and you're going to want to let them push their their opposite guys around a little bit, it seems to me. That this this the personnel that Washington has right now is suited for a power run game. Maybe I'm wrong, but that 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 seems yeah. to be the opinion of Jimmy Lake and John Donovan. Yep, definitely. And and I this team is built to be this kind of a team, and and uh, like it or not, that's what you're going to get. So you better get used to it. Yeah. Well, I was going to say too before we wrap this thing up, Scott. Anything else from the press conference jump out to you? Because again. Game balls went to John Donovan, Sean McGrew, Zion Tupola Fatui, who had the two sacks, two tackles for loss, two strips, two fumble strips, um, was basically Joe Tryon in, in, in waiting. I think we're going to see a Joe Tryon circa 2019 type year out of Zion, the way at least the first game went. Um, but other than that, uh, uh, got the player of the game according to Lake in the press conference, but was there anything else that stood out to you uh, from what he said? Um, you know, uh, I get the fact that he saw CT pan, he gave, he felt bad that he didn't give him a shout out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, that's, but, and that's a good one. Tied for yeah, seventh in the Masters. Yeah, tied for first, seventh in the Masters. That's his first Masters too. So think about uh, it that way. Jimmy Lake gets a win in his first start as a head coach. CT pan, first start in the Masters, tied for seventh. Pretty yeah. good. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I think more, the fact that he said that, uh, Kate Otten had his best game as a blocker. Kate Otten's art always been known as kind of being a really good blocker. So for him to say that was the best blocking job he's ever done, I thought that was pretty impressive. Um, just trying to think of other things off the top of my head, uh, that stuck out. Um, the fact that he felt like the receivers need to get better. He felt they blocked really well, but he said, those drops by Ty Jones and Romo Dunsey are something that they need to work on and fix. And, and he said, uh, Junior Adams is, is coaching those guys up and, and getting them better. And so you're just going to have to trust that they, they improve. Cause if they improve, that opens up things so much more for the running game. You talk about 265 yards. What if Washington hit a couple of those big, big plays? Yeah. Maybe, maybe they get to 300. Maybe they get to 300 yards because they're not stacking the box on them anymore. 
Who knows? Right. Absolutely. Well, I think we're going to close it up there because, uh, that'll give people some, uh, some food for thought. And then obviously during the week, we'll, uh, hopefully even come back and talk to you, talk to you a little bit more about what's going on. But obviously the, the players and the coaches are going to have stuff to say as well. We'll be talking to who is it? Probably the defensive coaches and players tomorrow. Yeah. Tomorrow. And then Wednesday we'll be talking to the offensive coaches and players. Thursday we'll talk to Coach Lake one more time to button it up before the Arizona game, which will be at five o'clock on Fox Saturday night. And, uh, looks to be another, another good one and another good matchup, I think, between two teams that, yeah, you may look at the talent on paper and think that there's a bit of a discrepancy, but Arizona showed, uh, they could be a handful for anybody the way they played, uh, USC on Saturday. Yeah, they showed would, me a lot more than I expected. Honestly. Yeah, I would recommend everyone go see the, uh, the USC Arizona tape. Um, to see exactly how that all went down. And I know there's probably going to be a lot of people that, that really are, uh, are on the anti Clay Helton train, which is fine. I get it. Um, that I guarantee you there's not a USC fan that probably is on his Christmas list, but, um, you know, that's, that's, you can't take away from what Arizona tried to do at the end. And arguably if they had had a little bit more defense, they should have been able to pull that game out. I think they gave up almost 500 yards of offense to USC. So, Things that Washington might be able to exploit. We'll see what happens. It should be a really, really interesting game to watch. So uh, watch this space. We'll have a ton going on on dogman.com. Again, if you want to uh, also get involved with our newsletter, you can just email us at huskystadium at gmail.com, subject line newsletter. Again, huskystadium at gmail.com, subject line newsletter, and that will give you all the daily updates that we have for you in terms of game updates, uh, everything that's going on in terms of the preparations, we'll have the podcasts out, we'll have the interviews out, we'll have the game analysis, pre-game analysis, and all the stuff going on up to game day. So for Scott Eckland, this is Chris Fetters of Dogman.com. Go dogs. <laughs>